Section 48 of Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brian Keenan. A short account of his death. Here the journal of Bishop Asbury closes, and having followed him through such a laborious and useful and very often suffering life, it is thought the reader would be gratified in following him to his grave, that he might witness the end and final triumph of this apostolic minister of the Lord Jesus. The editors, therefore, take the liberty of subjoining a short account of the last moments of this great and good man. His character, as it was exhibited in the various relations of life he sustained, we leave to his biographers, who, it is hoped, will soon favor the Christian world with a faithful portrait of Bishop Asbury, both living and dying. The following sketch of the closing scene of his life is taken chiefly from the minutes of the conferences for the year 1816. The only documents now in our possession from which authentic information in reference to this subject can be derived. It seems that, notwithstanding his extreme debility, which could not be witnessed without awakening the liveliest sensibilities, he flattered himself with the prospect of meeting the ensuing general conference, which was to assemble in Baltimore on the 2nd of May, 1816. In this expectation he was, however, disappointed. The disease with which he was afflicted, terminating in the consumption, made such rapid progress as to baffle the power of medicine, and to prostrate the remaining strength of a constitution already trembling under the repeated strokes of disease, and worn down by fatigue and labor. He appeared, indeed, more like a walking skeleton than like a living man. His great mind, however, seemed to rise superior to his bodily weakness, and to bid defiance to the hasty approaches of dissolution. Hence, impelled on by that unquenchable thirst to do good, by which he had been actuated for more than fifty years, he continued with his faithful traveling companion, John W. Bond, in a close carriage, to journey from place to place, as his exhausting strength would permit, frequently preaching, until he came to Richmond, Virginia, where he preached his last sermon, March 24, 1816, in the old Methodist church. Previous to his entering upon this last pulpit exercise, perceiving his great weakness of body, some of his friends endeavored to dissuade him from preaching. But he resisted their dissuasions by saying that he must once more deliver his public testimony in that place, yielding their own tenderness for his temporal welfare. To his desire to proclaim once more the counsel of his God, they carried him from his carriage in which he rode, for he was unable either to walk or stand, to the pulpit, and seated him on a table prepared for that purpose. Though he had to make frequent pauses in the course of his sermon, for the purpose of recovering breath, yet he spoke nearly an hour with much feeling from Romans 9.28, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. This closed his public labors on the earth. The audience were much affected. Indeed, how could it be otherwise? To behold a venerable old man, under the dignified character of an ecclesiastical patriarch, whose silver locks indicated that time had already numbered his years, and whose pallid countenance and trembling limbs presaged that his earthly race was nearly finished, to see in the midst of these melancholy signals of decaying nature a soul beaming with immortality, 
and a heart kindled with divine fire from the altar of God. To see such a man, and to hear him address them in the name of the Lord of hosts, on the grand concerns of time and eternity. What heart so insensible as to withstand the impressions such an interesting spectacle was calculated to produce? After having delivered his testimony, he was carried from the pulpit to his carriage, and he rode to his lodgings. On Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday he journeyed, and finally came to the house of his old friend, Mr. George Arnold, in Spotsylvania. It was his intention to have reached Fredericksburg, about twenty miles farther, but the weather being unfavorable, and his strength continuing to fail, he was compelled to relinquish his design, and accordingly he remained under the hospitable roof of his friend Mr. Arnold. Hearing Brother Bond conversing with the family respecting an appointment for meeting, he observed that they need not be in haste. A remark so unusual with him gave Brother Bond much uneasiness. As the evening came on, his indisposition greatly increased, and gave evident intimations that his dissolution could not be far distant. About three o'clock next morning, he observed that he had passed a night of great bodily affliction. Perceiving his deep distress of body, and anxious to retain him as long as possible on the shores of mortality, his friends urged the propriety of sending for a physician. But he gave them to understand it would be useless, saying that before the physician could reach him, his breath would be gone, and the doctor could only pronounce him dead. Being asked if he had anything to communicate, he replied that, as he had fully expressed his mind in relation to the church in his addresses to the bishop and to the general conference, he had nothing more to add. About eleven o'clock on Sabbath morning, he inquired if it was not time for meeting. But, recollecting himself, he requested the family to be called together. This being done agreeably to his request, Brother Bond sung, prayed, and expounded the twenty-first chapter of the Apocalypse. During these religious exercises, he appeared calm and much engaged in devotion. After this, such was his weakness, he was unable to swallow a little barley water which was offered to him, and his speech began to fail. Observing the distress of Brother Bond, he raised his dying hand, at the same time looking joyfully at him. On being asked by Brother Bond if he felt the Lord Jesus to be precious, exerting all his remaining strength, he, in token of complete victory, raised both his hands. A few minutes after, as he sat on his chair, with his head reclined upon the hand of Brother Bond, without a struggle, and with great composure, he breathed his last, on Sabbath, the twenty-first day of March, in the year of our Lord, 1816, and in the seventy-first year of his age. After having devoted to the work of the ministry about fifty-five years, forty-five of which were spent in visiting the cities, villages, and wildernesses of North America. During thirty of these he had filled the highly responsible office, and conscientiously discharged the arduous duties of General Superintendent of the Methodist Episcopal Church. His immortal spirit having taken its flight to the regions of the Blessed, his body was committed to the earth, being deposited in the family burying ground of Mr. Arnold, in whose house he died. His remains were, by order of the General Conference, and at the request of the Society of Baltimore, taken up and brought to that city, 
and deposited in a vault prepared for that purpose, under the recess of the pulpit of the Methodist Church in Utah Street. A vast concourse of the citizens of Baltimore, with several clergymen of other denominations, followed the corpse as it was carried from the general conference room in Light Street to the place prepared for its reception in Utah Street. Being preceded by Bishop M. Kendry as the officiating minister, and Brother Black, a representative from the British to the American Conference, and followed by the members of the General Conference as chief mourners. The corpse was placed in Utah Church, and a funeral oration pronounced by the Reverend William M. Kendry, the only surviving bishop. After which the body of this great man of God was deposited in the vault, to remain until the resurrection of the just and unjust. It is needless to make reflections here, or to pass encomiums upon his character, not only because it would be anticipating his biography, which is now preparing for the press, but because the preceding journal speaks for itself, and loudly proclaims the man deeply devoted to God, exerting all his powers of soul and body to promote peace on earth and good will to man, and who ceased not his labors until compelled by the command of him who first called him into being. Let those now denominated missionaries read this journal, and learn from the example of its author what it is to endure hardness as good soldiers of the Lord Jesus. May that church which so long enjoyed the services of this eminent minister of the sanctuary, and for whose prosperity he so diligently and conscientiously toiled and suffered, not only cherish a grateful remembrance of his Christian and ministerial virtues, but be long blessed with a succession of ministers who shall make his virtues their exemplar, and transmit to posterity unsullied those pure doctrines of Christ which Francis Asbury so faithfully and so successfully proclaimed. New York, April 23, 1821 End of section 48 Recording by Brian Keenan End of Journal of Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 3, by Francis Asbury.